Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Nor as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you DBS advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, do you know why Santa doesn't get stuck when he's going down the chimney? Mm, why? Because chimneys are claustrophobic. Oh, they just shoot him right down. Because yep. they're just he like, just, oh no. slips on mm. through. I don't love a Santa. I'm claustrophobic. Correct. Well, it's not going to win a Nobel. How's <laughs> you don't have to make fun of my jokes every time. We just move on. I I don't make fun of them every time. Sometimes I like them. Well, in the times when you don't like them, you just move on. Hold on, I'm just going to ask Chat GPT. Oh, you were asking Chat GTP for a dad joke? Oh, I hadn't thought about doing that. Yeah, I got a dad joke from Chat GPT. Hank, uh-huh. why was the math book sad? Because I had a lot of problems. Yeah, it's a little obvious. That's a good one, though. <sighs> I, I bet ChatGPT in, in its in its cold, dead heart doesn't know why it's funny. Yeah. What if I say, tell me a dad joke about John Green? Mm. Why was the John Green book always so sad? <laughs> no way. Yep, keep going. Say why. Why why was the John Green book always so sad? Because it was the fault in our stars. <laughs> Holy crap. How did it know that we had just made that other joke? That's a great joke, ChatGPT. Uh, but sure only if you know about the joke we just made. I was going to say, I'm not sure it's a great joke. No, but it's a terrible it, joke without the context of the math problem joke. Oh, my God. I swear to God, that's what it says. Maybe ChatGPT only tells dad jokes about why things are sad. (laughs) Maybe that's its way of telling us that it's sad. It's not really a joke. It's just an observation. But, you know, fair enough. All right, Hank. (laughs) Devastating. Let's make the pod. What's going on with you, John? Let's make the pod quick before there's an AI that can make the pod for us. Is that well? Is it? I'm looking forward. Maybe, that's, maybe that's now. True. Maybe you and I are together on a beach watching the World Cup right now, and well, this is not even happening. What I wouldn't give to be doing the same thing I'm doing now, but on a beach. Uh, <laughs> congrats to Brazil, by the way, four nil up before halftime against South Korea. So it would be weird to make a podcast on a beach because people will be like, "Why are you so loud?" Yeah, we'd be like, hey, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) If you don't like this part of the beach, there's other parts of the beach. Hank, when you filled out your will, which I just want to reconfirm you have done. Yes, correct. Did you put in there anything about what you want to happen to the sound of your voice? You know, no, I didn't even. It doesn't. uh, I don't think that's a great question. Should I? I should, recently, I, should I like uh, do the thing with my face and my voice and be like, you yeah. can continue to be me after I'm gone, but only if you do X, Y, and Z? Only if you're cool about it. 
Um, right. I'm happy to be in an Apple commercial in the future, but only if they're chill. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm on the fence about it because we do have enough recordings of our voices to be able to, to make fake, no, it's very easy to fake voices. And that would Uh be cool. Like I would be able to, if I end up in a situation someday for whatever reason where I can't speak, like I'd love to be able to continue to have my speaking voice, um, you know, as, as my voice. Sure. Uh Uh-huh. But I, I, I am a little uncomfortable with the idea of it being used after I'm gone. And I don't think that it would ever come up, really, because why would anyone want dead John Green to hawk their product? But like, <laughs> well, I got to keep making Vlogbrothers. Yeah. Right? And so maybe 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 my Vlogbrothers videos after I die, you'll make a video on Friday and then every Tuesday a holograph of me will appear and <laughs> yeah. say whatever chat GPT says based on all the Vlogbrothers videos I wrote in the past. Nothing weird or sad about that. I got. I mean, I got to keep doing it somehow. That doesn't so I'm sound not gonna, like I'm a, not going to replace you. I'm, I have to turn you into a computer man. Oh God, that sounds like a very sad movie. I mean, that is. Oh God, he, he loved his brother so much. A computer became him. It's called boy. Oh, I ah, uh, unfortunately, I think this is a great idea for a movie. Yeah. Or, so uh, for when you're dead. No. <laughs> Please do not make force me to continue making Vlogbrothers videos on Tuesday, even though my mortal body has left the world. <laughs> Please. <laughs> there must be a way out. It's fine, John. You won't know. You'll be busy. I, I may know. I may know. And I'll tell you what, if for some reason I do know, if I'm like stuck in a, some kind of post-existence limbo because you won't let me die all the way, I'm going to be very angry. Oh, but, that is a good. I'm now I'm enjoying this movie. But no, I think the movie is, you know, like H.G. Wells is the time machine where like the guy keeps trying to go back in time to like get to the moment before his uh, one true girl uh, died and all that jazz. Like mm-hmm. that th- to me, there's something like so sad and and particular and beautiful about a really good A.I., that could do a really good job of making you feel like you're in the presence of that person over text or whatever. And how like, I would just get addicted to that. I think I would want it all the time. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's somebody has got to have written something about this already. And then, but, but specifically with like vlog brothers, I, I really think, <laughs> I mean, specifically with Vlogbrothers, it's interesting because it's not just about you. It's also about the community. Yeah. Like there's there's almost like a shared need for Tuesdays to continue. And so everybody just kind of collectively agrees like, ah, maybe we'll do it this way. But then eventually in act three, they've got to be like, you know what? This this ain't right. This ain't right. We got to let this <laughs> we got to let this man get in the ground. Well, I just asked chat GPT <laughs> one of the questions <laughs> from our listeners. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if it's right or not. Yeah, I don't know why I took this funny conversation in such a sad direction, Hank. I mean, I wish I could tell you that that's unlike me, but as ChatGPT just pointed out, it's totally like me. They've, <laughs> they've got me nailed. They got you nailed. The John Green's new book is also going to be sad, where his brother dies in a tragic accident, and then he recreates him using computer software uh, so that he can continue making podcasts <laughs> with him. First question I can't, comes from a, I, honestly, I can't write that. It's too sad. It is very sad. First question comes from Jess, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I was wondering if, in your opinion, it does indeed take one to know one. Any dubious advice you can offer is greatly appreciated. Thank you, Jess. I feel like it does help to be one to know one. I sometimes, I think I sometimes feel like uh, I am that, and so I'm seeing that. In a way right. that you don't want me to be seeing that. Like, you didn't intend for me to know what you're right. up to, but I'm right. you, so I get it. I think I think certainly with naughtiness or dishonesty, sometimes it takes one yeah. to know one. Like, some, uh-huh. some people can just be, like, so lacking in guile that they'll be like, well, why would that person say that if it's not true? Yes, uh, me, for example. Are you lacking in guile? Not really, but I am... Uh, I, I do I do sort of expect all people to be um, telling the truth at all times. Oh, that's interesting. Not not me. 
Yeah, no, <laughs> I definitely have. I've no. I found out wait, over the whoa, years whoa, whoa. that it's. You, uh, you're not expecting unusual. me to tell the truth at all times. Uh, I know no, you aren't. No, I know no, I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> there so, are cer- definitely certain circumstances where uh, I know to not trust what you're saying. In that case, it doesn't take one to know. And, and I don't. I don't usually tell big lies. I just like. I just in trying to make a point will sometimes exaggerate my yeah. position a little bit. And and I and like I will have to say, John. Yeah. You cannot. Yeah. That, Sarah will do could, it too. You could do that when it's just the two of us, but do not do that to people who don't know you. So I think in some cases it's maybe helpful to be one to know one, but I don't think it's universally necessary, no. right? Like yeah, yeah. there are aspects of empathy that can reach even to places where we aren't. Like I don't have to just rely on my own experience of physical pain when listening to someone else talk about physical pain. I can also rely on their description of it and trust them and believe them. And so I think that it often takes one to know one, but not yeah, always. But th- there are definitely situations where I look at a person and I'm like, I don't know that one. I was watching a little mini documentary about a hockey player uh, recently, and he sort of like <sighs> went through his path of becoming a professional hockey player. And I was like, I am not one of those and do not understand the, what you did. <laughs> that does not, th- that seems way outside of how I would have handled all of the circumstances you were in. I would not have done that and do not understand how or why you did these very hard things. Yeah, exactly. Like I can know one without being one when it comes to like sporting excellence. But I think if you've been one, you do know one better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know one at all when it comes to sporting excellence. It's very confusing to me. Looks very hard. Yeah, I think that it's. I I don't think it's that dissimilar from like getting really into playing the guitar or whatever, or getting into writing. Like, why did I get into writing? Really, was it a deep love of writing? Kinda, but it was also that people told me I was good at writing, and the only damn thing I wanted in the world was to be good at something and have adults like me and g- give me praise and be proud of me. And so uh, that that only happened near writing. So I got better and better at writing. I, I don't think it's that dissimilar for a lot of elite athletes, you know? Yeah. I, I, the thing that, yeah. that maybe it does take one to no one is the absurd desire to stay on top. I find this Oof. completely baffling. <laughs> you know, I don't. like, you I don't, don't I, find that baffling. Oh. I, 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 I know you don't, you don't. And maybe this is something, maybe we're getting, maybe this is like therapy, Hank. Maybe this question is helping us open up a space in our relationship that we haven't seen mm-hmm. clearly before, because I am baffled genuinely by Hank's desire to continue um, staying on top, as I would say, to like, yep. to find new ways, new new mountains to climb while also staying on top of all the previous mountains. <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh I do not feel I do not feel the same urge in the same way. Yeah, it require it's like a it's like a very big game of twister. I got one hand on this mountain, one hand on this mountain, and I, the other mountain's very far away and to and like about in an awkward place. Yeah. Uh yeah, no, it's not it's probably uh it's probably not for the best that impulse. It's probably not, but then at the same time it's given us a lot of gifts. This is true for a lot of things about ourselves that may be healthy or not healthy, where it's a little hard to know yeah. if it's healthy, but it has served us really well in the past. And so it's hard to try to actively seek out different behavioral patterns when there have been big advantages to the ways that we're accustomed to doing things. Yeah. I also, I, I continue to have this problem, though I've created lots of stories in my head about why I shouldn't have this problem. But I continue to have this problem where I feel like if I can do something, I should to honor the reality that like other like no one like other people can't do this and it should exist. And so I should I so I should do it since I can. Or um I I don't know if this is a thing they can do, but like I can try and I have the I think I have like a lot of the tools that other people don't have access to or mm, my my mm. former self didn't have access to. Mm. And they, that person certainly would have wanted to do this thing if they could have, but they couldn't. And now I can. And so I should. And I don't know, I don't actually know what to do about that. Cause I like, I do kind of agree with myself. Right. 
that I should well, sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. But what you've just said reminds me of something William Faulkner, the great novelist, said once. Um, somebody was, you know, blowing smoke and telling him how great his uh, books were and how proud he must be to have written them or whatever. And he said, um, yeah, I don't know. If I hadn't written my book, someone else would have. And wow, I've thought of- I've thought about that a lot for a long time because William Faulkner's books are extraordinarily specific. You know what I mean? Like he's writing about a like you're saying that, but you, I think you're wrong. He's writing about a rural county in Mississippi. If I hadn't written my book, somebody else would have. Is a strange thing for anyone to say, but especially for Faulkner, because it's yeah. not like he was Ernest Hemingway or Jane Austen. You know, he he had an, a life experience and an approach to writing that were unusual even in, in the time. Uh-huh. But what I think is true about it, and I, 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 a hundred, I mean, look, I, I know I'm not, not Faulkner, but like I a hundred percent have come around to the idea that if I hadn't written my book, someone else would have. And that if I don't write the books that I hope to write, that's not going to be like some kind of like global catastrophe or anything because someone else will write them like publishing will be fine. Um, Stories will move forward. So I think like being able to kind of de-essentialize yourself is really important, however you do it. But I also think, I mean, I genuinely think, Hank, that, um, that like, you do great work, incredible work, special work. And and I think you're right that in a lot of cases, there's nobody else in the short run who can do it. But um, like the world will be okay. I remember like when I couldn't write a, a follow-up to The Fault in Our Stars and I, there was just so much pressure on me because, you know, the book had sold 30 million copies. It was a huge, it was a huge part of like the publishing company being profitable that year, like people's yeah. jobs, et cetera. And you know, it was just, uh, it was a lot of pressure. Even though everybody tried to insulate me from the pressure, it still felt like a lot of pressure. And I remember at one point my therapist said, um, you realize that like, if you die before you write another book, everything will be fine. Like nobody's going to say like, yeah, oh no, we better shut down the human enterprise. We didn't get another (laughs) book. They're going to be fine. Like they're going to figure it out. And that's what I would encourage you to say is like, yes, you have gifts and talents and 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 you need to use them and you have to honor those gifts. But like you also uh, have a family and you got to honor that, too. And and so if there is a way for you to say, like, you know what, people, the world will figure it out without me. The stuff that I'm not able to do, the world will figure it out. I think that's yeah. good. It's weird that I have such a hard time with that. But I do. I know. I'm just telling you. But that's just yeah. The world will, the world would be okay if you died. It would. If you here's here's what I would say. If you died, what would be sad for me and sad for most people yeah. would not be the loss of all the ideas that Hank was going to make. It would be the loss of Hank Green, the person, and the the kindness and generosity and light that he's shown in the world. Thank you. I appreciate that is that is a good perspective. I wouldn't be like, oh God, we were just gonna do the awesome tea company. Damn it, Hank. Typical. <laughs> never never getting stuff done. No, I wouldn't it wouldn't even be on the radar. This next question comes from Sharon, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I work in a NICU, and one of my many jobs is bringing the nurses the blood that they've ordered when it arrives. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to find the least weird way to tell a nurse that I have blood for them. Yeah. So far, I've brought your blood, or Mm -hmm. here's your blood, or is Mm -hmm. this your blood, or Mm -hmm. cold, Mm -hmm. fresh blood for you, Mm. all don't work. What mm-hmm. should I say instead? My Sharon. Uh, Sharon. My Sharon. Yeah. Uh. Maybe it's Sharon in the end. <laughs> so I think the obvious one, first off, it's not that fresh. Okay. So I wouldn't say cold, fresh blood for you. That sounds like. <laughs> if it's cold, that it sounds can't like be you, that fresh. That sounds like you took it out of your own veins. Um yeah. What I would say is um, I've acquired some stranger's blood for your work. <laughs> is that I've what heard... they call it? Did they just call it blood? 
Is there not like a more technical term for it? I've heard in your profession you periodically require the blood of strangers. Well, good news. <laughs> Here's some B negative. You gotta walk it, you gotta be like, who's human juice? <laughs> Is this? <laughs> Where should it go? Is it yours? Yeah, walk Alexa, up to the nurse. Is this yours? Walk up to the nurse and be like, you know what's wild? This used to flow through the veins of a different person, but then yeah. we refrigerated it, and now it's going to flow through the veins of one of your patients. Haven't you See ever ya. wondered what it tastes like? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Edward Cullen, got your blood for you. Uh- <laughs> Oh, good. Nurse Edward. Uh, here's another. Here's another. Here's another. Uh, hand them the blood and then say, is it just me or do you only work at night? <laughs> all right. I got I got I can do this all day. Hank. Yeah, this is this is my genre of joke. You could you could say it says this is it says that this is blad, but I think it's just typo. That's, that's embarrassing. Did Chat GPT write that joke? Oh, that was me. Vlad, <laughs> you think you think G, Chat GPT came up with Vlad? I think you uh, walk up to them, you hand them the blood, real subtle, like, and you say, uh, "Hey, don't tell anybody." But uh, yeah, I mean, this this blood is great. It's gonna work. It's it's off the market. Like, it's just don't. Let's not ask too many questions about it, all right? <laughs> Let's not make it weird. You just take the blood and you trust me that it's blood and then we're good. <laughs> it's got all the parts in it. I promise. Yeah. Or hand it to them and say, it's definitely blood and I don't know why you're looking at me like that. It is not V8, okay? <laughs> of course it's not V8. Why would I do that? Don't. By the what way, do you, don't do that. That's a good way to get fired from the hospital. What do you actually say? <laughs> okay, there's got to be other people in your profession who you meet sometimes who do this. Because we, I've never given blood to anybody. Dir- well, except for the person at the blood mobile directly. I was going to say I've given it, but only out of my veins. I've never like given somebody yeah. else's blood. I the will next time say, I give blood, I should be like, "Hey, can I like, uh, can I like hold the bag and hand it to you?" It's just like a dream of mine. <laughs> I just I worked up a couple jokes, um, so I'm hoping that I can <laughs> deliver says them. That Never it's really. Blad? <laughs> I've got a typo joke that's also a type O joke, and it just doesn't work unless I'm holding a bag of blood for someone. So if you wouldn't mind just handing that over, it is mine after all. I I think you just say I've I've got some I have some blood for you I have I have your blood. yeah whatever you I have say the with, the, with the other stuff like whatever you say when they order ibuprofen and you bring it to them just say yes. that except instead of ibuprofen it's blood it's just another right. medicine got the ibuprofen that helps people feel better after their C sections did somebody did somebody order some blood so just so you guys know you can't DoorDash it okay you actually have to like call down to the <laughs> area of the hospital where I work. All right. Yeah. Stop trying to get it on. They don't have it. They don't hub. have it at Subway. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's exactly right. Hank, treat it the way you would treat ibuprofen. Last one, last one. You walk up to them and you say, Hey, I've got your blood just a heads up. I'm not sure if this is relevant. Um, but I did, I did just want to double check. Um, and it is totally fit for human consumption. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you just leave it right there. Yeah. You just leave it right there. Just be like, I'll let you imagine what that might mean. That's true. All right. This next question comes from Jay, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm a backpacking guide and I work off grid for two weeks at a time, which means I miss a lot of news every month. How do I catch up on the news without getting overwhelmed trying to sort through dozens of daily newsletters? Do you have any favorite monthly or semi-monthly news sources? People normally end with by, but I end with H-I-J. Oh, oh. I like the alphabet. Yep. H-I-J. Jay, first off, I think it's easy to get overwhelmed sorting through newsletters, even if you aren't off-grid for two weeks. Um, I would encourage you 
to lean into what is good about that experience and just be off grid for a couple of weeks and come back and look at Google News. And if anything's real important, it'll be up there at the top. <laughs> you know what I mean, though, Hank? Like, I, I think there is something to being an engaged and informed citizen for sure. But there is also a line at which, like, you don't need to know. Yeah. Well, I've heard this a number of and had this experience as well. If When traveling in other countries... I you sort of like get back and you're like, well, everybody's really obsessed with that thing right now, but I don't know anything about it. And and because I'm like coming in halfway through the narrative, it doesn't seem that important to me. Right. Or worse, you come back and they're having the exact same conversation, but they can't tell that they are. Right. Because it's about some other thing, but really it's about the same thing. Right. Which is that the president is on Twitter. Deeply atypical. Yeah, like I remember when we were on our honeymoon, which unfortunately was the last time that I truly did not have access to any internet. Yeah. It was 2006. And every day we would, at our hotel, we would get a one page printout, like a Xeroxed copy, one page of news. And it felt, it was wonderful to read because I would be like, wow. These important things that are happening are happening, and they are important, but they are not happening to me. And I, in some ways, prefer being super engaged, understanding what's happening every day. But here's my own experience with it anyway, Jay. Like, if I drop in three days late to the um, how did Will Smith do as the live action Aladdin discourse— I'm good. Like I I'm good. I've I've actually saved myself a bunch of time because I've allowed this whole thing to mm-hmm. unfold and then I can go see and and see how it's unfolded rather than like watch in real time as it unfolds. So I think it's good and you should just read something like The Week or read a weekly news magazine like I don't know, Time. I think they still make that one. Is the week a thing? Yeah, the week is the like week. it's a weekly oh, news. Magazine. It's a weekly news yeah. magazine. Yeah, that yeah, just kind of covers like, and it's it covers things in very you know like not a lot of detail, but from multiple perspectives. And yeah, just do something like that. Uh, sounds like it'd probably be better than the way I'm doing it now. Anyway, that's what I think. I I think do if I if I engaged with the news mostly through newspapers and magazines, which I did in like 2019 and 2020, my life is so much better. Yeah, so much better. And I don't know if like the level at which I'm informed is better, but my life is better personally. Yeah. Yeah. John, this next question comes from Evan, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm someone who was raised to recycle everything possible and waste as little as I can. I often see people and I often see and I often send people the Kentucky Bluegrass Review from the Anthropocene Reviewed to discuss water use and how Dom lawns are. However, I recently watched a video from a well-researched and respected news source uh, that kind of changed my perspective. They said that 6%, only 6% of water on the entire West Coast is from personal use. Just 6%. How can I justify being so cautious when I am a minuscule uh, fraction of that tiny fraction? Enjoying an extremely long shower, Evan. There are a number of uh, pieces to this question. The first is that you know, the vast majority of that 94% is agriculture, which is pretty Which important. is for humans. Yeah. So you can't like separate. This is a big frustration for me when people talk about, well, only this much is for people. I'm like, well, but the vast majority of the rest of it is for agriculture, which, which is, is directly or indirectly for people. And then there's also the the reality of like some of this water is very specific water that is that a lot of work is being done on. And there's a lot of energy that goes into that work to make it potable, to make it drinkable water. And so that's a sort of it's a very separate set of water than stuff that's being pumped directly out of the ground or directly out of a, a water source, a, a river or a ditch and then straight onto a crop. Um because there is a lot of added uh, capacity that needs to happen if the amount of water is increasing. They have to, and especially if you're pumping drinking water onto a lawn, you run out eventually and you have to build new capacity, both for managing the outflow of that wastewater, because uh, a lot of times that like for your shower, for example, like all that water has to be processed and for the inflow of water, because- that water has to be treated so that it's drinkable before you pour it on your lawn. 
And there's just not a right. better way to like run two pipes of water unless you have a well. Right. Um, right. And, and so the question of like, if you're thinking about the amount of water in the river as finite, which is true, or the amount of water in the aquifer as finite, then we are competing with agriculture. And by far the much more impactful thing you can do, not like not watering your lawn, not taking short showers, uh, is not eating red meat, uh, which is yep. extremely water intensive. Um, yep. And and so you can take like basically the longest shower you ever want to if you're trading that for never having hamburgers again. Right. So we have to make kind of different buckets in our minds for potable and non-potable water because potable water, so much energy is spent making it safe for drinking or cleaning. And like, for example, if you're uh, working in agriculture and you have to wash fruits or wash vegetables uh, after they are they are harvested, that's going to be water intensive. And in a lot of cases, that's going to involve potable water because it has to, because it's touching something Mm -hmm. that is later going to be in a person's mouth. And that seems to me like a pretty necessary use. It's unfortunate that it is so much, but it is a pretty necessary use of potable water because otherwise we would have more salmonella outbreaks and E. coli outbreaks and stuff like that. There is no reason to use potable water to water lawns, except that the water coming to houses is potable water. Yeah. And so that's why I I do think that we have to imagine it a little differently because it is an utterly unnecessary use of water. So like, even if it's a tiny percent of water, it's it's one that is totally without use. Yeah. Well, it's also, it's not a... lawns in total are not a tiny percent of water. They're actually a very, they're a big piece of that 6%. And 6% is a lot. Like if we decrease the amount of water being consumed by 6%, then that would be a really massive thing for the West, which is why a lot of places that are not on the coast in the West don't have, like a lot of, you know, the Southwest, they don't have lawns. They they, they learned that lesson. They don't need to do that. They don't do that. Yeah, so it's more than 6% of the potable water, uh, at least it is here in Indiana, and it's a really it's really significant in part because it is so high energy to make that kind of water. It is it is energy intensive and therefore fossil fuel intensive to make potable water, so the less of it we make the better. Yeah, and also to move it around the whole system, which yeah, takes energy right. to it, it's funny, you don't think of the energy of the water coming out of your tap, but like there's something pushing the water out of your tap. And that is yep. elect- ultimately, not immediately, not, not like directly, but ultimately that's electricity, which is wild right. to think about that. Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by Kentucky Bluegrass Grass. It's, this sponsor is not happy with us right now, uh, but no. Kentucky Bluegrass, one of the finest crops in America, what does it provide? Nah, don't ask questions. Yeah, I mean, a place for yeah, soft children to, to play. play a soft yes. place to play is the main thing it provides, which is not no value. Not um, it's just less value than uh, we we maybe give it. So, anyway, uh, I can't believe they paid us, Hank, for that. <laughs> It's really bad. That level of endorsement. But today's podcast is also brought to you by John Green's book that is so sad. John Green's book that is so sad, The Fault in Our Stars. I didn't want it to be sad. I mean, I knew it was going to have sad parts, but I I do not think of it as a sad book. And there is a little part of me that gets like a little... I don't know, like defensive when people say it's a sad book. Not, not that it, not because it's not sad, but because like I actually think it's much easier to write something that's sad than it is to do what I hoped the book would do, which was to be sad uh, by way of being kind of honest and funny and hopefully true. This podcast is also brought to you by Blood, cold, fresh blood, delivered straight to you. When you need it, uh, potable blood. I mean, you can have it cold or you can have it fresh. I'm not <laughs> sure you can have it both. <laughs> and today's podcast is brought to you by ChatGPT. ChatGPT just gave me some uh, new titles. Um, I asked it for what it would what it would what would be a good title for a book about uh, trauma and espionage 
And here are uh-huh. some suggestions okay. that it gave me, Hank. Trauma and betrayal. The okay. spy who traumatized me. <laughs> the spy who traumatized <laughs> me is such a good, it's such a bad title. It's real bad. Um, Invisible Wounds, which is also so bad. Yeah, and I but love Invisible it so Wounds much. is like the kind of title you might see. Maybe you in might. the 80s. You might. Yeah. You might. Yeah, that's true. And then the last one, Broken Bonds. I don't know. That's I could great. see that. I could see it. That's great. I mean, there are definitely books called Invisible Wounds, you know, like that is, it's not a book I would write, but yeah. it is a book. I like Broken Bonds too, because maybe it's like a James Bond novel and it's about like all the James uh, Bonds come together, but they're, they've like, all had like, that like last- a- <laughs> They've all had like a bad a like bad that, time recently. Like that Spider-Man movie? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's all the, the Bond multiverse. It's called Broken Bonds and it's Bond <laughs> multiverse but they're all like they've all had really something really bad happen to them. Probably their girlfriend or, died. Let's be honest. That's that's mostly what happens right. to Bond. Oh, I well I was thinking about this recently and the reason the girlfriend has to die is because essential to James Bond mm-hmm. is that James Bond cannot be compromised. Yes. By love. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's why he doesn't have a family. Mm-hmm. And then in, at the end, when he can be compromised by love, he totally is. Anyway, we also have a Project for Awesome message from Laura and Daniel. We wanted to take a brief moment to say how wonderful it has been to be part of this community. Thank you, Nerdfighteria, for showing us the good that can happen when people come together. Thank you, John and Hank, for your work and for teaching us to imagine others complexly. We are better people for having known you. D-F-B-T-A. I don't know if that was an intent. I don't know if that's like an inside <laughs> joke for them. Oh, or if you just or, embarrassed them with the Tybo. But that is definitely what I it mean, says. D-F-B-T-A. Don't forget to be. Don't forget don't be forget, to awesome. Don't forget being trombone mm. accepting acceptors. Don't yeah. forget bond team assemble. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Is that how covalent bonds work, Hank? No, Is there... it's the James Bonds. It's the Bond Spider Verse. They're assembling. I know. I was just hoping. I was just hoping there might be like a third level to the joke that yeah, covalent sure. bonds have to announce to each other that it's time to assemble. Uh probably. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look, there are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. 
ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming, and I'm like, I'm going to have to say doc, ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. Hank, you'll recall that recently AFC Wimbledon were getting really close to the top of the bottom half of the League Two table. Mm-hmm. We've been on a great run. I don't want to make it about me, okay? It's probably about the players. It's probably about the things that they're doing on the field and whatever, whatever. But since I visited in real life, AFC Wimbledon has not lost a game in League Two. So they did. And they lost their FA Cup game, but that's not that doesn't yeah, count really. Some would argue that's good news. <laughs> it's just one another game we don't have to play. Yeah. A game we don't have to think about. Mm-hmm. We can focus on the competitions that really matter: the League Two season and the Papa John's Trophy. Those are the only two. Is it the Papa John's that we're Trophy? We're in the last 16 of the Papa John's Trophy. We have a 1 in 16 chance of winning it. I haven't mentioned it to you in the past because, <laughs> like all AFC Wimbledon fans, I am actively embarrassed that AFC Wimbledon <laughs> participates in the Papa John's Trophy. But whatever, football's about winning things, and I will hold that Papa John's Trophy aloft should we should we make our way to the final. Um, but that's probably not going to happen. At any rate, we are now 20 games into the League One, League Two season, which means that we're almost halfway in, and AFC Wimbledon are now at the bottom of the top half of the League Whoa! Two table. We are in 11th place. We have 29 points after 20 games, and we are 15 points clear of relegation. Not only are we 15 points clear of relegation, we're only four points off the playoffs. Whoa! We we have turned this season around in stupidly dramatic fashion. We beat Grimsby Town over the weekend, <laughs> Hank. And you know, I love you know, Grimsby Town. It's definitely I've got I've got a couple pieces of AFC Wimbledon news for you where you're just gonna love the team names. We beat Grimsby Town over the weekend, you know, and you know, it's not easy. They are the grimmest of the bees. Uh-huh. I mean, they are, they are grim bees for sure. And they're called the Mariners. They play out of Northeast Lancashire in the town of Grimsby. And so, you know, that's never an easy opponent. We, we won 1-0. Credit to Grimsby. They brought over a thousand fans to the game. Uh, but we won one nice. nil. Ethan Chislett, Ethan Chislett scored like oh, both of our wingers, Ethan Chislett and Ayubasal, were both told that they were too small to play professional football and given up on by their childhood clubs. And now both of them uh, are with Wimbledon and have been for a long time. And they are proving to the world that it's not about the size of the dog. It's about the size of the fight. I don't remember the cliche. But the point is that Ethan Chislett and Ayubasal are both amazing, and I, other teams need to not know about how amazing they are until at least the end of the season. It was a great game. We deserved to win. We, I, I was really, really pleased with how we played. Also, like this new Wimbledon has some real Wimbledon DNA in it. Like we're good at the dark arts. We can slow the game down. Ooh, Harry Pelt. Harry Pell had like a seven-minute fake injury that I enjoyed every second of. He was like writhing around on the ground, and the goalkeeper was like talking to the ref, like I genuinely don't think I touched him. Uh, I, I I think he's okay. <laughs> and then after seven minutes, he finally stood up, and the ref gave him a yellow card, and Harry Pell just smiled and patted the ref on the back, <laughs> like that's good. We've needed that. We've needed somebody who has that in their locker. Um, so I am. I'm greatly enjoying that part of it. Uh, that part has been great. So yeah, lots of uh, lots of things to be excited about. And Hank, and we've hired a new director of football operations. 
Okay. This is a big deal because like part of professionalizing the club is hiring, you know, like to look more like another club in League Two, uh, where we have similar, you know, where we where we're similar in more ways. Um and you know, become professionalizing. And our new head of football operations, Hank, I'm so excited about him. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what that job does. He like, he, he like helps out with scouting and leads recruiting and also does all the analytics. And I don't like to judge a book by his cover, Hank, but if you Google uh, Craig Cope, you're going to see a nerd. I mean, and I say that as a nerd. Craig, okay. Craig Cope, Craig Cope looks more like me than he does like like somebody who played professional football and then has become like a grizzled scout. He looks sure. like a data. I'm just basing all of this off his appearance. He looks like a data nerd. Yeah. He looks like he's passionate, hardworking, committed. I'm so excited about him. And and uh-huh. previously he was the technical director of one of the all-time great football in England team names, Sullahul Moors. The Sullahul Moors? The Sullahul Moors. That's tough. That's that's tough. <laughs> that one's tough. It could be the Sullahul Moors. I don't know no, how they. Don't, I don't know yeah, how. The don't don't second guess Sullahul yourself, John. You it. had it. You had it right first time. That was great. <laughs> Got it in one. <laughs> Oh, so thank you, Sullivan Moores, for giving us uh, an exciting new director of football operations. <laughs> I'm sure that that's very important work. It is. Um, <laughs> uh, well, this week on Mars News, John, uh, scientists think they may have located the origins of a 3.4 billion year old mega tsunami on Mars. Oh, because you want to do that if you can. So yeah. we have thought that there were a pair of meteor strikes that off, set off two mega tsunamis 3.4 billion years ago on Mars. And in 2019, scientists traced the possible starting point of the second one to a crater, which is 75 miles wide in the Martian Arctic. And a new study has found possible origins of the first mega, mega tsunami using data going all the way back to NASA's Viking 1 spacecraft, which landed on Mars in 1976. And when it landed, scientists were surprised to find a lot of boulders on the landscape. Researchers now think mm. that those boulders might have been debris from a mega tsunami that was carrying pulverized rock away from the site oh. of an asteroid impact. And studying maps of the area and looking for particular characteristics, researchers traced the possible impact site to the 69-mile-wide pole crater, which is around 560 miles away from Viking 1's landing site. So that's a long way to carry a bunch of big rocks, but it's it is, after all, a mega tsunami. Uh, the scientists used wow. a simulation model for the formation of Pole Crater, and they found that the impacts might have created a mega tsunami that was high as 1,640 feet tall. Whoa. So that's good, like a, good thing that's, we weren't around like, to see it. That's like a proper skyscraper, like looking up and you're like, yeah, well, yeah. that. No, that's taller than that's the tallest building. That's 120 stories of water. Yeah. Brackish, gross, undrinkable water that is about to pulverize me. That's correct. Yes. That sounds fun. I'm <laughs> glad I wasn't there for that party. Yeah, 3.4 billion years ago. Guess is nothing was around. But who knows? Maybe. We'd have a hard time knowing for sure. That's how it works. Wow. Wow. That's, it's so it's so wild to think about Mars having that much water. Yeah. Well, it's also wild to think about like knowing all this stuff about stuff. We can't see things like that on Earth because the Earth's surface changes too much because of plate tectonics and water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. So that could have happened on Earth. We just wouldn't be able to see it. Oh yeah. I mean, we had some we had some pretty epic events back then, I'd say. Yeah. That's true. In the early days, Earth was pretty nuts. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, well, we got we got a moon out of the deal. We got a moon. We got hit by something big enough that it made a moon. It it rained for like five million years. That was weird. Uh <laughs> there was like a lot of liquid water. There were volcanoes all the time. It was wild it was over wild. here. It was wild. I've and it it's a little bit like now Earth's entered its like Early middle age, maybe. Mm-hmm. Earth's like 28, 30, 32. I guess that's not middle age. 
I th- how old? Uh, that's a great question. Yeah. In terms of a human lifespan, how old is Earth? Oh, it might be middle aged. Uh, the the planet part. <laughs> so yeah, so it's like forty. So it's like calmed down. It's chilled out a little. Like it started to see some of the volatile approaches that it was taking aren't going to be long term sustainable for its. Yeah. Yeah, it's been that way but, for a, for a while now. I think probably yeah. by the time the Earth was like sort of ten in human years, it was pretty grown up, honestly. Yeah, so it, it matures a little bit faster. Yeah, That'd be, it's, it's, it's when's it gonna get? Just as a heads up, yeah. when's it gonna get real old and and crotchety? Oh, when's well, it gonna start? Like, when's it gonna start like saying uncomfortable things on on Twitter, <laughs> uh, just due to a lack of lack of awareness of the. The platform, as far as far as I know, a long time. Great. Uh, depending on your, depending on on what parallels we're drawing directly, I'd say long enough that we don't have to worry about it. That's what about sure. Alice? Does Alice have to worry no, about it? No. By we, I mean humanity. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, cool. Thanks for podding with me. Yep. You're welcome, John. If you want to send us <laughs> questions, it's dear Hank. Nope, it's Hank and John at gmail.com. and the podcast is called Dear Hank and John. Which you probably knew, but maybe I should say it. <laughs> but maybe often. not. Maybe not. Uh, we're off. You can re- find it. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, <laughs> please support us on Patreon. You, we're off to you, make our Patreon-only podcast yes. this week in stuff, oh, where yeah, we talk about good. stuff that's important in our lives. But the, actually, the coolest thing you get for being a patron is every month we all get together and we uh, talk on zoom and it's so great it is good it's I, that's the best part of my month actually is just talking to my brother about stuff that matters to us yeah being in a worried private environment being worried about things I'll, it's mostly just us talking authentically about what we're worried about which is a lot plenty of things anyway patreon.com slash dear hank and john Hank, thanks again for potting with me. I think you got to read the credits now. That's right. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Brooke Shotwell. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Trakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be awesome. awesome.